And for this portion of WGTD's morning show, we're going to be catching up with uh, yet another person who has dealt very directly with COVID-19. And in the case of this particular person, someone who uh, herself has been diagnosed with COVID-19, but also is right on the front line as a frontline worker, uh, specifically uh, an RN uh, in West Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, her name now is Jody Stevenson. When I first knew her, she was Jody Anderson. We knew each other when both of us were in high school a long, long time ago. And we both uh, <laughs> sang for, uh, as, as part of the same uh, Christian singing group, the Now Disciples. And I knew uh, Jody very, very well. And uh, and her husband Mark very very well, and uh, I'm happy to be reconnecting with her, although sad that it's uh, about a, a topic like COVID. But I thought that Jody would have uh, an important perspective to share, both personally and professionally. She is an RN for internal medicine for Mercy Clinic, which is part of the Catholic Health Initiatives Network, again, in, in, in West Des Moines, Iowa. She is also a, a lay counselor uh, when it comes to certain mental health issues, and some of those actually uh, end up being quite significant when we're talking about something like COVID-19. So I appreciate all the different perspectives that uh, Jody Stevenson can uh, bring to bear on this important topic. So Jody Stevenson, we welcome you to the morning show. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for uh, taking the time to do this. Uh, just uh, so people understand a little more about what you do professionally, explain the kind of work that you do as an RN for, for Mercy Clinic. Absolutely. Um, I've been a, a nurse all of my adult life, and we have been in Des Moines for 15 years, give or take. And I work at um, internal medicine here, which is all adults, which means our clients are all 18 years old or older. The majority of them are senior citizens. Most everyone who comes to us, not exclusively, but almost all of them have um, complicated health issues, complicated health histories. They are the people that we are talking about in the media. Many, many, many of our patients have diabetes, COPD, um, hypertension, overweights, because um, a lot of those things go together. And so, you know, one thing leads to another, leads to another, but, and it could be other things as well, but they have, they're not your average guy just going in for their annual physical. Right. They have difficulties and sometimes multiple difficulties. And of course, when we're talking about something like COVID, it's a, a uh, especially significant. Uh, before we talk about your own very personal encounter with COVID, could you just say a word about what these last few months have been like at Mercy Clinic in terms of the kind of impact that COVID has had uh, back in the spring and now during this fall surge? Yes, it has been a huge, huge and continues to be learning curve. We were hit with it just like all of you were. I mean, it, it seems like, I know this isn't exactly true, but it seems like we went to bed one night and life was moving along and we woke up the next morning and, and medically everything changed. Hmm. And instantly um, our patients started calling. No, I, I, I mean that literally, instantly. Day one, the phone started ringing twice as much as normal. Many, many questions. Uh, do I come? Don't I come? Where do I go? What do I do? you know, can I have medicine right now? You know, and, and they just wanted answers and we had no answers. 
um, it has continued with ebbs and flows. Everything we do is different now. The patients that can actually come to my clinic and be seen are filtered at least three times before, and I'm the front line of that. I'm one of the senior nurses there, and I triage. Um, so if you called in and said, I feel this way, I would be one of the people helping to determine where you get help. Do you come to your clinic like normal and see your normal doctor? Do you go to the ER? Do you go to what we, we refer to as the fever clinic? That's just a nickname. Hmm. Uh, Mercy immediately set up kind of a triage clinic that was specifically for anyone that we thought might have COVID. We would just send them all to the central location, trying to keep people as educated as possible and as condensed as possible to not spread the germs. Hmm. All of that said, something that people don't realize went on in all of this is resources were moved. Resources meaning people, more than PPO, were moved. People lost jobs, people were furloughed in the medical field. Hmm. We closed multiple urgent cares and move those, those workers to like this fever clinic or mm. moved them to here. You know, I mean, you had a choice of either having a new job or not taking it if you didn't want it. But the, the clinic you were at might have closed. Mm. And we have laid off doctors in the, in the months that followed. There was so much loss of income mm. because patients stopped coming because we closed things that, um, my clinic is actually down to at least providers. I called yesterday to ask for something for a patient and there were no openings for two weeks. And it's, wow. I mean, it changes daily because people cancel. So in other words, the whole, the whole company has been completely restructured in the wake of, of COVID and, and certain uh, medical offerings are just not there or have had to be scaled back massively. Yeah, I think you're right. That is a, a, a largely undiscussed consequence of COVID that uh, it's important for people to, to understand. Uh, a, a friend of my wife's uh, works in the medical field and I know has talked from time to time about how uh, in the times that she's worked, for instance, in the ER, that the protocols have changed dramatically as we have grown to understand COVID-19 better. And I suspect that you've experienced that as well, that the way in which you were doing triage, for instance, early on probably has changed as we've come to understand COVID better. Is that right? That is exactly right. And that's one of the biggest things um, I like to talk about and just reiterate for everybody, even in the profession of medicine, we are learning every day. And what we thought was the right way to do it last week may not be the right way to do it this week. And it's very confusing and it's very disturbing to people, but it's the truth. Mm. It's just a learning curve. Mm. So yes, we've changed everything. I ask questions now, if you were to call in and talk about, you know, maybe wanting to see the doctor, I would ask you questions that I hadn't even dreamed of a year ago mm. to ask you, you know, on an average call. Wow. So one of the reasons we're having this conversation uh, is because you and your husband, Mark, both ended up being, uh, ended up contracting uh, the virus. Uh, so you, both of you have very personally dealt with COVID-19. First of all, when did that happen? And do you have any idea under what circumstances uh, you and your husband contracted the virus? That is the mystery. I have 
maybe a possibility we've kind of thought through um, of when we might have contracted it, but truthfully, no. I honestly do not know where we got it. Um, we wear masks. My husband and I wear masks. I will say in the very beginning, we were probably a little less diligent than we are now. But I mean, and I don't mean just the last month, but I mean, in March of last year, we were cautious, but not as much as we are now. Um, we have done some group things. We were diagnosed three weeks ago tomorrow, it'll be. Um, I actually believe with all my heart, we were sick four days prior to that. And we were one of those people who didn't know, even me being a nurse, I did not realize. Here's the thing. I came home from work on a Thursday night and I remember very distinctly feeling on the way home. And once I got home, I am so tired. I am just so tired. But I, we had a conversation. Mark and I had, my husband and I had a conversation about how tired we were. And I called it COVID fatigue. And what I said was, I am so tired of the extra thinking. Everything I do right now, you have to think harder <laughs> and longer. And am I doing this right? Is this today's protocol? Not just at work, but my father is 93 and he's alive and I'm his only family. So I'm thinking about, you know, does he have what he needs and can I safely go to him? And what do I need to be doing for him? And we had a blessing of our fourth grandbaby in June. Mm. So there's this tiny baby 20, 30 minutes away that I would love to see. But we have to scrutinize every time we do anything. Mm. And I, that's what went through my mind that night was, you know what? I am just so tired of all this processing, I guess. And truthfully, I was scheduled to have an elective surgery on um, the 29th of October. So it would have been the Thursday following this Thursday. It would have been a week later. So I had been doing a lot of prep too for that. You know, trying to get everybody's stuff, my dad's things taken care of, things at work taken care of, ready for that. And I just attributed it to all of that. But my husband and I both went to bed early that night, early for us and slept all through the night. And we laughed in the morning that we were getting so old and went to work, honestly. Mm. On Friday, I went to work at the clinic. I was the first diagnosed at our clinic to have COVID. Nobody else has got three weeks later, nobody's gotten it. Mm. And we use protocols there. You know, I would have been masked and all of that. But um, nobody's gotten it. And we, the providers all told me, we have, there's just no way that we have not been exposed somewhere along the line in the last months. But thankfully, nobody's mm. gotten it. Wow. So your suspicion is that you probably picked this up elsewhere and not from work? I, it really is. Hmm. It really is. I think the protocols at the medical clinics are as good as they can get for with what we know. Hmm. And I really think it's one of the safer places you can go. Although I argue that with my patients on a daily basis. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so so uh, you uh, experienced this fatigue that you thought was more of a mental fatigue from COVID, but as it turns out, it was almost certainly a, a physical warning sign that in fact you were coming down with COVID-19. Can, can I ask what other kinds of symptoms you and Mark have experienced since then? Sure. We, um, we, our church is open. We are helping, we help with music at a very small church who has gone with the guidelines and because of the age of our congregants, 
it's been perfect. A, a place set for 250, maybe 50 people would come. So there was absolutely no problem social distancing and mask wearing. I will say we're rebels. We sing, mm. but, um, mm -hmm. and I know some churches don't, but we do. And that's, but we, again, we're separated all we've done everything we could. So honestly, we went to church Sunday morning and came home. And again, it's Sunday afternoon. We were tired and uh, took a nap. And I woke up with the worst headache I've had in a long time. And I was so cold. Hmm. And I took a little Tylenol and I laid there for a while. And I just knew it was different. Mm -hmm. And I knew the surgery was coming. And I'm like, <laughs> I just remember kind of sitting up on the couch and saying to Mark, I think we've, I've got COVID. And he said, you know what? I ache all over. I, he goes, not like earth shattering, stop the world. I want to get off. But he said, I just don't feel good. Mm. And, and I, and the longer I laid there, the colder I got. And I, I was supposed to have surgery that following Thursday. In fact, I was going to get COVID tested on Monday. And I said, I, I need to go to the ER we need to get this figured out right now because I was supposed to work the next day and then get COVID tested and prepare for this. So we went and sure enough, um, about three hours later, we were sitting in the ER with, um, they gave us fluids because they said dehydration has been big. So just kind of precautionary. Um, they gave us inhalers because they could hear our lungs were had a little bit of a rattle. We never got pneumonia, but you know, they just were suspicious. And we actually took a ZPAC. Um, there's debate about that. And it depends on what provider you're working with, what their experience has been, and what your symptoms are. Right. But they sent us home with a ZPAC and said, and they explained to us that COVID was a virus. Antibiotics are not going to kill COVID, but it might help keep other things at bay hmm. uh, so we wouldn't get more sick. So How long did you have to wait before you got the confirmation that indeed it was COVID? We had the rapid test, so we, we stayed in the ER until they had it, 70 uh -huh. minutes. Okay, yep. so you knew right then and there. By and large, have you and Mark experienced it in very much the same way? Because we sometimes hear about how one person gets it and it has a, an array of symptoms and someone else gets it and scarcely has a symptom at all, sometimes no yes. symptoms whatsoever. But it sounds like for you, it's been a roughly parallel experience. It was pretty parallel. He did a little better than I did in the beginning, and then he did lose his taste and smell for a few days. He, he was commenting last night, it's not 100% back, but it, he can taste and he can smell. Um, he, and he said, maybe, you know, he was laughing, maybe it'll help him because some things don't taste that great anymore. So, you know, <laughs> diet, whatever. But, uh, but for the most part, the, the worst thing for us, our personal symptoms was just the fatigue. I cannot even explain, and I've had mono, um, and I had influenza probably 25 years ago, then bad enough that I had to go to the hospital. Um, I was so tired. You just moved from the couch to the chair, to the bed, and none of it really felt comfortable. Mm. And you never really felt like you slept well. Mm. Um, you would doze or you would sleep a while. Um, but you, I couldn't, I'm a reader. I love to read. I love to listen to podcasts, that kind of thing. And I, you know, I couldn't. I, I couldn't concentrate. Mm. I'd read a paragraph and I think I have no clue what I just read. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what she said. So I just will give up, you know? Wow. Wow. So it was, it was long and it was uncomfortable in those hours 
which leads to that's um, people, people become the more secluded they become and the more tired they are, the worse they feel because you're alone mm. and your mind starts thinking. And the way our minds are created, once we start thinking, we get a little <laughs> rut going yeah. and we just stay right there. Right. It's hard to not get sort of sucked down into that uh, abyss, whatever, yes. it, whatever it might be. So are you and Mark feeling, at least for the most part, better now? And are the two of you able to be back at work now? Yes, we were both released to work. We've both been at work all week. I've been back to the clinic and um, my husband owns his own business and works outside this time of year. And it's just his business is run by himself and our nephew, adult nephew is his partner. And so it's just the two of them. And there's some seasonal things that I can help with. So I've been out working, you know, physically working with them the last few days. Hmm. Well, that shows that you must be feeling somewhat better than you, than you were. As someone who is a nurse, um, were you able to resist kind of the, what I know probably is even more likely to, grip more sort of ordinary people uh, when they hear the word COVID, I mean, in terms of immediately jumping to the very worst conclusions about uh, what this is going to turn into and and so on, Um, or even as a person in the medical field with a bit more knowledge of COVID than than most of the rest of us have, uh, were you able to stay calm uh, and, 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 and in a sense not panic too much? I was. People in my profession tend to be one of two ways. (laughs) Pretty much we all fit into one camp or another. Those of us in the medical profession, as we learn of new things, we're either of the type that I immediately have all those symptoms about whatever it is I'm learning about. Oh oh my goodness, I've I've felt this. Or we're pretty resilient and we're like, no, that's not gonna be me. And I tend to fall in the no, that's not gonna be me. That's just my natural bent. Um, so I had no qualms. Um, it, it, it did not frighten me. I felt lousy. It was not fun. <laughs> and my children would call to check on us. And all I could say to them is this is the strangest thing ever. Hmm. But, um, I was not fearful for me, for myself. Hmm. I was not. I know that one of the things that you are anxious to share and you are sharing this not only kind of from your own personal perspective, who you are, but also the fact that you are a lay counselor who works with people when it comes to matters of their mental and emotional health. And uh, and I know that you have thoughts about this whole matter of fear or the fact that taking COVID seriously can easily sort of migrate into a kind of fear that that can be in its own way a, a, a serious threat to our well-being. Uh, what, what is your, your good counsel to people listening uh, when it comes to fearing COVID and being fearful in this uh, strange time in which we are living right now? That is very near and dear to my heart. And I do not want to talk about specific numbers very much because they change. Um, but I, I will venture just a couple of things to give a perspective. Most illnesses of any kind, any kind, any chronic illness of any kind, you, whatever one you're thinking of in your mind right now, if it had a 
0.01 or 0.01 survival or death rate, meaning 99.9% .9 of the people lived after it, we would be thrilled. We would be so happy that we had a, an illness that can be dealt with, that people survive, that we can learn about. But COVID, because it is not totally, let's call it digested yet, we haven't fleshed out every angle of it, has put fear in people's hearts and they're losing perspective that while people are dying and they are, that is true. I do not deny that. It is a real illness. It is true. I do not deny that. It is not the first time we have had an unknown illness. Every time every illness was ever discovered, it was unknown and it was scary and people died and it's awful. But we survive. We've, I read, um, I shared an article that was written during World War II and the Brits had, they, they had not the fear of an illness, they had a fear of bombings mm. and they blacked out, but they did life. You know, they put, they put, they covered their windows, but they figured out how to do life. Mm. And that's my message. We mm. have to be cautious. We have to be willing to learn. We have to be willing to say, I don't know when you don't know and, but you have to figure out how to do life for you. Um, I did get, like I said, just a couple of numbers. The CDC did a survey in June of this year, one week, they surveyed about roughly 5,500 people. Out of the 5,500 people, 11% of the adults, that's people older than 24 in this case, had considered suicide in the past 30 days. Wow. 25% of the young adults, that's 18 to 24, had considered suicide. And they all directly linked it to COVID-19. Mm. They were afraid. They don't know what to do and what not to do. They aren't seeing the people they love as regularly or in normal ways. I have a patient that just I don't know her other than through my professional life she told me she had not been outside of her apartment in five months literally her children were bringing her groceries you know whatnot she literally had not left it's not good it's not good she said it's not good my kids gotta let me out of here you know um my father will say after, in the spring, he had a small stroke during all this and he was confined and I couldn't get to him and nobody could, I mean, they wouldn't allow us to do anything. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, I am going to die someday. I don't know if it's going to be this virus or something else, but I want to see you. Mm. And there's truth in that. Mm. We have diabetic patients who are scared to leave. They haven't had their blood work done in well over six months now, many of them nine months, because they you know, maybe just had their checkup and then this whole COVID thing hit. They could be in serious trouble and we wouldn't know it because we don't have that information. 
and they may end up, quote, dying of COVID, but it's only because they didn't take care of themselves. It wasn't the COVID virus. It was be the fear kept them away from doing what they knew to be right. Hmm. So my, my words are to use some common sense, to take a deep breath today. I've had to tell many people to shut off the news. Mm. This is not, this is an illness. This is not politics. This is not something our government knows everything about. So we cannot look to them to be like the one source. They can be a source. But I would encourage everybody to find a few trusted sources. And I would suggest that that might be maybe a research hospital, like your state university hospital, or reputable places like Mayo Clinics, or Johns Hopkins. You, you choose each person, not someone who's trying to sell anything, not your favorite politician, whoever they are, not your favorite fill in the blank TV star. Because nobody, not, none of us know it all. And then I would check back with a reputable place, whatever works for you, maybe a couple times a week, read some updates, okay? Keep yourself informed, but don't live in the media of COVID-19. It will not do you any good because tomorrow it'll be different. And honestly, even though you're a media person, Greg, and I love you. I'm glad you're doing this. But media people are selling articles. They are wanting you to read their articles. They're wanting you to listen to their broadcasts. And I'm speaking a very broad stroke, and I'm not picking on any one media person. I'm just broad stroke. They use big words with lots of emotion, and they want to draw you in. I just read an article two hours ago from a Fairly reputable newspaper, I believe. But man, the big, awful, audacious words they used, worst case scenarios they painted were outrageous. They really were. So I'm trying to get the word out for all of us to use a little common sense. And when you see those huge numbers, we have no PPE. We have no resources left. Take a breath. Take a step back know that there could be a shortage wherever they're talking about it could be a problem but it probably isn't quite as dire as it's being portrayed and there probably is people are excuse me are people working on a solution and we have to give them some room to do that and that's my biggest words other than that truly i'll just slip in here covid your immune system is your best defense. It is true. Wash your hands. It is true. Keep your hands away from your face. That we've, there's never been a dispute on that. That has always been true. It is true. It is airborne. So if you're going to wear a mask, it is at least going to lessen the chance of my germs getting on you and, and spreading. So that can be helpful. At home, eat real food. Stay away from excessive sugar. And I'm talking to the choir because I love sugar. Um, but, you know, keep, keep a reasonably healthy diet for you, what works for you. Lots of water. 
and it has pretty much been proven if we can beef up our vitamins, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C are really well thought of in fighting and fighting this. Um, those are good things. So in other words, if you have a really good multivitamin, it probably is covering it. If you don't and you want to take specific, get zinc, D as in dog, and C as in Charlie. And take them. Use some social distance caution. And be as healthy live. as you can be, in other words. I mean, that that, yeah. uh, that is defense line number one for this. And I appreciate your advice about... Uh, about keeping fear in check and uh, about not immersing yourself too much in what you call COVID media. I think you're, you're absolutely right about that. And uh, it's really important that people not get swallowed up altogether because that ultimately uh, probably does more harm than good. So I think you've offered some very good advice today and I appreciate being able to hear your own story. Uh, Jody Stevenson, a, a registered nurse for internal medicine with the Mercy Clinic in uh, West Des Moines, Iowa. Jody, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that you and Mark are feeling better now, and I appreciate you uh, sharing your story today uh, on the morning show. Best wishes to you and take care. Thank you.